I am back, Jermaine, with another episode of the Kick It Straight Podcast. Today's episode going to be different from previous episodes if I have focused on issues surrounding racism and the black existence and conversations about race and why that probably can't happen on a national level. And I'm going to eventually go back to that because being a black male and that being the identity that I live in, and that is the construct that guides every arena of my life, not because I desire it, but because that is how the enemy has set it up. And when I say the enemy, I don't necessarily mean white people all white people are not the enemy but according to Ephesians 6.10 we are fighting a battle on a spiritual level that has principalities so those principalities like I said before that is higher than Donald Trump and above most people we know pay grade has constructed this paradigm where as a black male I'm always conscious of my blackness on so many levels that in itself can bring a whole lot of frustration uh, hatred outwardly and inwardly they can also bring a whole lot of thoughts of depression and so I want to take you into an episode of my life and check this out before I get busy I just want to let you know I'm not a doctor I'm not an expert I'm just going to tell you an episode in my life. I'm not going to give you the date or the year. So this episode basically is going to deal with suicide, comma, Russian roulette. So let's just go to the National Institutes of Mental Health. They say this, as of 2019... That year was 47,000 people who died of suicide, which is the 10th leading cause in the United States. The suicide was the second leading cause of death among individuals between the ages of 10 and 34. It was the fourth leading cause of death among individuals between the ages of 35 and 54. There were more than twice as many suicides, 47,173 in the United States as there was homicides, 19,510. So what we can basically agree with, as the National Institutes of Mental Health would say, suicide is definitely a major health concern. It is in the top four, depending on your age group, the top 10 ways people are dying. And there's many reasons why people commit suicide. And this episode will not get into any of those reasons. I will do another section of that in weeks to come. There's many avenues that people take for suicide. I will get into those. I just hope that this podcast, this episode will be able to help somebody in some shape, fashion, or form. Okay. Um, as a child, it was obvious 
that something was wrong with me. I was the, not the weirdest, but looking back, I was definitely the most troubled child out of the four. One sister and three brothers. I was definitely the most troubled child. I was the one who did some of the dumbest stuff. My mother would say I would get a beating on Tuesday and do the same thing Wednesday and Thursday and get a beating on Wednesday and Thursday. It was almost like nothing could break me of this behavior. Then in my teen years, someone, I don't know, but someone had gave my mother some advice to get me in their counseling and, and to her motherly love, she did try to get me counseling. As I recall myself on three different occasions, at one point in time, I even knew as a freshman in high school that counseling was working. However, there was another part of me that knew that I needed something deeper than counseling. But back then, I didn't know who I didn't know how to articulate my need for something deeper than counseling. All I knew is that there would be times when I would fluctuate between these uh, cycles of high, high, high energy and high, high, high extrovertedness to high, high, high lows introvertedness. And then, even though I never got into self-harm, such as cutting, I would get into other behaviors that was very uh, reckless. Um, When I was a sophomore, junior, around that area, I would begin to dabble in alcohol. And for a period, I was an alcoholic with a couple of my friends. I took my first snort of cocaine during my junior prom. That the first time I snorted cocaine during my junior prom. It was at a prom party. Me and some of my guys from high school, I can't remember who was driving at that time. We drove down to another high school who was having the prom on the same night. And it was a big prom party. And sometimes during the night, someone had broke out some marijuana that wasn't for me another group of kids was doing at that time they called acid that wasn't for me but there was something very appealing about cocaine to me the powder form and so many young ladies began to store some cocaine and since that day I was like okay this is what it's about I just totally love that stinging numbing uh, feeling at times a Superman feeling that caused me to do reckless behaviors. I would go to graduate, and by this time, my first year out of high school, me and a young lady was kind of friends, and and at that time we both had decided, not decided, but it was obvious we had what you would call a crappy existence. Even though on the outside, people didn't think it was crappy because I myself had a mother who loved me very much and she had a mother who loved her very much. But man, we just, I think I got glued together over our, now I can articulate it, over our depression issues and just over the inner fight of not wanting to live. 
And um, a year later, my second year of high school, I was working at Sam's Club in Gaithersburg, Maryland. And I was also working at Wendy's. I was working a full-time and a part-time. And I lived with some friends. And, um, and so one day, out the clear blue, this young lady had called me. And she said, let's go for a walk. And we went for a walk. And she said, let's go for a drive. And we drove all the way up to Frederick because she had some friends in Frederick and and we went behind the high school and two o'clock in the morning and uh, I had already bought a package of cocaine and so we spread it out and cutting it up and she she was snorting and I was snorting and and at the clear blue sky she says to me do you want to play a game? And I'm like yeah I'm all for the games but I'm I mean, right now, I'm so high, and I'm feeling so good, and it was such a nice, I guess you can say spring, breezy night, and it was like, okay, I thought, to be honest with you, it was going to be like some kind of sex game, like, you know, me being a black man, she being a white woman, we had not delved into the sexual arena yet so I just thought it was going to be some kind of you know sex game however it wasn't uh, I had been knew she had, she, that she had came from a gun family I did not come from a gun family and so she went in her purse and pulled out the 38 and I was like wow cause this is probably the first time I remember holding a gun in my hand where it was just me and another human being and thoughts of killing her didn't even enter the arena. No way, no, it just wasn't that kind of party. So she says to me, do you want to play Russian roulette? And I was like, what's that? And she was like, well, you take a snort and pull the trigger. And I'm going to take a snort and pull the trigger. <sighs> Looking back, you're like, what the blank was you thinking? But when you snorting cocaine, and you're irritable you got this on the one hand you can have this intense happiness but you're also paranoid so what it does is when you start cocaine like that you think people talking and people so basically everything that goes wrong in your life or you're dealing with inside your head is magnified times 20 so I was like is there something to order so I was like, okay. She's like, nah. So she went first. And when she took the first shot, like, it, like, really shakes the hell out of you. Because, like, just the intensity of that moment, knowing that at any given time, one of us is going to die, which at that point in time for me would have been great. Because I hated my freaking existence. I hated everything about my existence. I hated everything about my life. And my nephew, who is still living, he would even say he knew something was wrong when he came downstairs one day about maybe, I guess he said it was about 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. And I'm blasting music. And he caught me storing cocaine. And back then they had them uh, stereo systems. You can buy like the stereo with the eight CDs on it. Then it still had two cassettes and the big, huge speakers. 
they made them back then. It was the Pioneer, I think it was. And I had my ear up to the speaker. And so my nephew was like, dog, you really tripping. You need help. And he was a young dude. I don't think he was even in high school at this time. I think he was in middle school. And uh, so but back to the Russian roulette. So she took the first shot. And I'm sitting there like, what the blank? So she says, your turn. So like, to hear an empty gun go off in such close proximity, for me, is one of the most horrifying, intense, heart-shaking feelings you could ever go through. And I don't advocate for anybody to go through it. I picked up the gun, man, again, this is the first time I've ever held a gun at, to that extent. I will hold guns later down the road, but this is the very first time I've held a gun to that extent. So I took the gun. And again, she said, use your finger and spin the cylinder. Again, this is my first time with a gun. So I used my finger and I spin the cylinder. And I put it in my mouth and I pulled the trigger. And I remember when I realized that I did not die I just like maybe fell back on the benches because we was on a football field at this high school. And I remember falling back just from the sheer intensity and the sheer shake of putting a gun in your mouth and pulling the trigger. And Emily now is like just snort her head off, but it was her turn. So she spins the cylinder and she couldn't really do it, right? And she was just boo-hoo crying about her family, about her dad, and going on about her cousins, going on about her mom. And so I took the gun for her because now, man, I'm feeling like I'm Superman. I'm like, blank this. I can do this. Boom. I'm going to show her I am, the, I am the man. I am that man because nowhere else in my life. I am that man, but for this moment, I was that man. So I took the gun, I spent the cylinder, and I put the gun in my mouth, and, but I couldn't do it. I reached down to the little thing of cocaine, because she had the cocaine in her, like a lipstick vial. And she had um, a piece of paper, and she poured the cocaine on the piece of paper, and, and used the razor blade to cut it, and I closed the one nostril, and I snorted it up again. And I took the gun and I put it in my mouth because now man, I'm, I'm feeling like Superman and Incredible Hulk. But I'm also crying my eyes out. And I wasn't even crying because what I was going to do to people with a closed cast of ceremony, I couldn't even think about that. I could only think about that like months and years later once I got into counseling, you know. And, uh, and so I'm boohoo crying and I'm just thinking about like death and how like good this is going to be. But I'm also thinking about like how bad it's going to be. But I can't punk out because I need to prove to Emily that I am the man. So I put the gun in my mouth and I pull the trigger. And I actually fell down like the bench into the another row of benches because like I could no longer, the gun fell down. The cocaine I had when I fell over, I had uncontrollably spazzed and I had knocked the cocaine over 
and realized I had actually defecated on myself just through the intensity of that game. Just through like having a bullet that close. Now I can articulate it and I could like I'm 48 now. I articulated this first time to a psychiatrist when I was 34. But I had kind of wrote about it in one of my journals when I was like 26. I remember telling um, some of my best friends who was in an African religion and I was telling them. And so when I first articulated it, you know, it was kind of hobnobbish, scrabble, scrabble. But now I can like really articulate it in a better light especially now with all the reading and with all the prayer and with all the counseling and all that stuff. We, we couldn't even move. We could not even move from the moment. This was again probably 11, 30, 12 at night. We probably stayed in that space bawling our eyes out for another four hours. Now, mind you, I had defecated on myself. However, I was just so shaken and so terrified of the sound of an empty gun that close to you, that close to my brain. And because I put it in my mouth, that's what we were doing. I realized that that night, that day, I think it was, I don't even know if I can say it was a conscious thing, but I knew unconsciously now, we were definitely trying to find the best way to kill ourselves. And I tell this story because over the next six weeks, probably seven, I'm going to start doing a series on mental illnesses. And I'm going to tell a lot of my story about the mental illness on two different occasions that I was given a a diagnosis of and I would just say this life in all its forms can be really horrible to people life in all its avenues can shake people to their core and people in this society have to wake up every day and just smile and play nice and look nice but on the inside, they are so dying. And they're just hanging on, not even by a thread. But if you look deeply into their lives, you can say, and this happens all the time in suicides, I thought something was wrong, but I didn't want to say nothing. I thought something was wrong, but I didn't want to offend them. I thought he or she was kind of off, but I was dealing with my own stuff. This is especially in black families, because black families, man, you got mental illness, this is almost like you might as well pack your bags, get yourself a pork chop, and go sit in the Jewish bar mitzvah. That's how much of a stranger you can be, because the black family has never really dealt with mental illness diagnosis properly. And that's through a number of different reasons for that, which I will deal with in weeks to come. 
I know for me, looking back, I was so mentally sick. And, and I was soul sick, heart sick. So mental illnesses go hand in hand. If, if your brain is not right, especially due to a hard narcotic such as cocaine and alcohol, you will at some point think ending that misery is the best thing. And I would just say, for anybody listening, especially in this day and time, learn how to get connected to the people you love. Watch for the signs in somebody's life that says they need help. And you be the one. Take that chance to say, let's go get you a counselor. Because I think something may be wrong and this is above my pay grade. We have to learn. I've learned over the years. I do better mentally when I'm connected with a higher purpose than myself. Of course, God, in my aspect, Jesus Christ being the highest purpose. But I need uh, uh, people who I like really admire to be in my life. I need activity that challenges me to give me purpose and to calm that raging beast of those feelings of depression and wanting to die. And I wish I could sit here and say, you know what? I don't, I don't never want to die. I've never thought about dying since that night. Counseling healed me. The mictal and the bipolar cocktail i tell you about later on down the road healed me. Well, it did. There are times when I think about dying. But at this age, and I'm like, nah, that's not an option. Because I have tried the worst game there is, I think, and I could not do it, right? And I understand I had a sick brain. I had a really sick heart. I know I'm not going to be able to wipe out suicide. I'm not going I'm not, I'm not to be able to stop people from hanging themselves and ODing but if I can get one of you listening to get connected to their family members in a deeper way, to their friends in a deeper way, to notice some signs that may call for a deep time of prayer meditation, call for a deep time of love, call for a deep time of counseling, call for you may even walk with them to a psychiatrist or psychologist or someone who they can just I'm going to say vomit all of the poison they have in their soul that they've been internalizing that they have not been able to share with nobody because that is up there with one of the triggers that lead people to not want to be here when they internalize so much poison from where their whole inner being is poisoned and you get to the point where the human soul can only handle so much poison. And you have to find a way to get that poison out of you. That's why in the book of Genesis it says, Man shall not be alone. We wasn't meant to be isolated. 
We wasn't meant to deal with life on our own. We wasn't meant to be He-Man and Supermans with the S on our chest. We wasn't meant to be Wonder Womans and Super Womans and She-Ra's and Thor's. We wasn't. We were not meant humanly to be Marvel comic book characters. We were meant. We were created in the image of God. Because of sin, that image had been surely, horribly marred. But even through that, there's still help and hope. So I hope I can inspire somebody to get some help, some hope. I didn't want to be long on this episode. I just want to give an introduction over the next six weeks. Come with mental illness. Might as well to share my story. Part of it anyway. This is Kick It Pod, Kick It Straight Podcast with Jermaine Fenwick. As I say, that big black brother from St. Mary's County in the middle of nowhere. You can contact me at Twitter, at Jermaine Fenwick, Facebook, Jermaine Fenwick, Instagram, Bad71 Man, uh, email FENBAN72 at yahoo.com. Until next time. Get connected to someone. It could be their lifesaver. Encourage somebody. Love somebody. Until the next time, wherever you go, in the land of conversation, thoughts, opinions, op-ed pieces, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and Twitter, whatever you say, make sure you kick it straight. Out.